Some people, when I've told people this story, they're like, oh yeah, that's happened to me. Like it's a thing. Sometime in the beginning, we uh, all went to sleep and we woke up finding out that we had a runaway Lambda, I guess you could call it that, on AWS. And it had racked up the most enormous bill. First of all, we had to recover from that. It was a huge expense. We begged AWS for flexibility and whatever. I think maybe we just weren't aware enough. And also we had said, no, it's fine. If something goes wrong, we'll like know about it. No, AWS has no mercy. They're going to charge you for it. I thought that was the end of the company. My name is Miriam Schwab. I'm co-founder and CEO at Stratic. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Miriam Schwab built a company around making WordPress better by making it static. All this and more on Code Story. Miriam Schwab is originally from Canada. She's been in Israel for 26 years and moved there after high school to attend university. She studied English literature in school and she really enjoyed the focus, though it has little to do with what she is doing today. Even still, her heart was always pointed towards technology. She's a mother of seven children, which keeps her super busy. The oldest is 22, a boy, and the rest are girls, with the youngest being eight. If she does have spare time in there, she spends it with her extended family or goes out with friends. Around the time she had kid number four, she took her maternity leave to reevaluate what she wanted to do. She started freelancing and building people websites on a contract basis. At the time, she was exploring open content management systems, namely WordPress. She was one of the first people in Israel to offer WordPress as a business solution. Her business grew from just her to being an agency, building sites for businesses for 13 years. As more and more people built websites, she began to realize that the content on the site was sluggish to load, and the stack used to power WordPress wasn't keeping up with the growth in content. She stumbled across a new trend around static site generation. She immediately thought she had found the answer. This is the creation story of Stratic. I had just moved to Israel. I didn't know Hebrew well. And um, I tried studying computer science here for a year and I didn't know what was flying because I didn't understand what they were saying. So I ended up studying in English literature, which I loved. But after I gave birth to my fourth kid, I took my maternity leave time to think about what I wanted to do next. I had been working in a, an intellectual property firm, working on patents and trademarks. I loved that world of innovation and being exposed to people's inventions and creativity. I knew I wanted to do something of my own. I wasn't quite sure what. After my maternity leave ended, I decided to start freelancing. At first, providing content services to people, since that just made sense after my English literature degree. At the same time, I started to teach myself how to build websites and started offering that as a service. And then I was looking for a way to allow the people I was building sites for to manage their sites on their own so that they didn't have to come to me every time they wanted to edit a sentence. And I explored the world of open source content management systems. And I fell in love with WordPress. I saw a lot of potential there, both in terms of the ease of building websites for clients, but also that my clients would be able to manage their sites well. 
And I was one of the first people in Israel to offer WordPress as a business solution. Um, at the time, people were still skeptical about WordPress being a full-fledged solution for, for real businesses. Slowly, the, there was a shift. Uh, people were tired of vendor lock-in and all sorts of proprietary CMSs that were limiting. And so they started turning towards WordPress and there was growing demand for people who could build WordPress websites. And that was me. My business grew and went from just being me to being an agency. We were building custom WordPress websites for top tech companies in Israel and large nonprofits and universities. And I did that for about 13 years. As time went on, while demand continued to grow for WordPress uh, development, WordPress also became trickier and more challenging to manage. The websites started to get slower. They were more dynamic and richer, but also slower. And the lab stack that they were on was not really keeping up with it. And also hacking went from an individual to hacker bots. So it became harder to stay ahead of the curve in terms of these bots, knowing what vulnerabilities were out there in WordPress. And there were a lot of them. And I started to think, well, maybe WordPress is not the right solution anymore. Maybe I'm not doing right by my clients by only offering WordPress. So I started to explore what else was out there at the time. I uh, stumbled across this new emerging trend it was known as static site generators. And I was like, wow, this is amazing because these static sites are everything that WordPress isn't. They're resilient. There's basically nothing to hack. They're super fast because every page is pre-rendered. They're scalable, so you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm doing a campaign. Will all my servers keep the site up? I was like, this is amazing. But when I looked into it further, I realized that there were a number of issues with that approach. One is building a site that would be based on a static site generator would take three or four times as long, which means it would cost that much more for my clients. And I knew nobody was going to want to invest that much just to have the shiniest new tech when in the end they were doing just fine with their WordPress sites. We, the agency, were managing the sites for them, so we were fending off the hackers, etc. But from their point of view, WordPress was fine and the price point was good enough. But also, once a site is built with a static site generator, then continuously maintaining it is, is also more challenging than with WordPress. The end users of a site are marketers or business people. They're used to the WYSIWYG editor in WordPress. They're used to the plugins and the tooling that they can install and the integrations and everything. And, and then that would be gone, mostly. Even user management becomes challenging in static site generators. I was like, okay, this isn't gonna work, but maybe WordPress itself can be a static site generator. That's how the concept for Stratic was born. I started working on Stratic while I was still managing the agency, trying to move it forward, trying to determine the feasibility, whether the market would be interested in it, etc. And that was going slowly. I did join two startup accelerators in Jerusalem, uh, one after the other. One that was for more early stage and one that was for companies reaching more globally. Eventually, I sold my agency with very good timing. And at the same time, my partner, Josh Lawrence, joined me. Together, we were able to raise pre-seed funding and build out an initial, more than a prototype of Stratic, prove that it's possible and start onboarding some customers. Tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, that first service you built, the, the, the product that was Stratic, the first one, how long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So the very first MVP or proof of concept was basically me running a scraper on a WordPress site. 
the static files would were downloaded to my my laptop, and then I pushed those static files up into S3 <laughs> and put a CloudFront distribution in front of it, and then I tested was that site faster than the original site, and was there like an attack surface on the static site? So the answer to both was yes, it's faster, and no, there's no attack surface. Like that, that it was like down and dirty, <laughs> that was it. But then when we started building it out as a platform, the tools that we used were, uh, we decided pretty quickly to go with AWS as our cloud platform for various reasons. One was we got quite a generous amount of credits from them as part of their startup program because I had been in their startup accelerator. And so that allowed us to get up and running with them with no initial output of costs. So the main reason we went with AWS was beyond the credits is that hiring talent with a strong background in AWS is much easier. Um, the developer community around AWS and is, uh, is stronger and AWS has been around much longer than let's say Google Cloud. So, so the people working with it have much more experience. And so we knew that as we grew for hiring purposes, it would be ideal that we were on AWS. So AWS was our main tool. Uh, and you know, using various coding languages within AWS and building out the platform there, learning a lot as we went along the way. So for example, we're an end-to-end -end platform. We host the WordPress site, the original WordPress site on platform and the static site, and then the CDN. Turns out that converting a WordPress site into static is a very resource intensive process. And so we would keep crashing our own servers when we were trying to generate the static version of the site. And then you would end up with a static site that was all like 500 pages or something like really not attractive. And so we had to keep trying and figuring out how to scale that infrastructure and make sure that it doesn't fail in the middle, detect when it's failing, all sorts of things around that to keep it up and running and, and make that process smooth. So when I started out with Stratic, initially, like when I first had the idea and, and that first very uh, messy MVP that I described, I was like, well, this is basically just scraping a site and uh, this should be, this should be easy. Like I should, we should be able to have something up and running in six months. Turns out it's much more complicated. There's a lot to take into consideration and we've learned a ton along the way from our customers basically to keep improving, understanding different types of edge cases and circumstances so that for our users, all they have to do is click a button and then they get the static output. But what happens behind the scenes is actually quite complex and I would even call it like fancy. Before we get into the kind of the pr product progression there, when you're building an MVP, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? And, and it sounds like there were some decisions around speed, potentially even around uh, technical debt. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and, and how you cope with them. Okay, are there are a few things. One is the importance of saying no. So, you know, you have a team like myself and, and my partner and all, all of our employees, whoever they were at the time, um, it was a much smaller team then, and everyone's very smart. They're smart people and they have ideas and everyone is constantly throwing out ideas. We could do this and we could do that. And also a lot of the ideas often are trying to guess what our customers might want to do at some point. So what we learned to do is say, does this matter now? Is this a pain point for our customers now, like for real? Also, is there a workaround? Can we do something manually? Can we like shift this from here to there or something to solve this in the meantime? And will that be good enough? Basically, always looking to where you can say no, so you focus on your core product. And also, ear to the ground, meaning our communication with our customers is paramount in how we determine what we're doing next. 
we use intercom for, for customer support for chat. I'm always reading it, always. I read almost every customer support chat. And so do other people on the team because you learn so much from your customers. In the end, that's what you're building it for. So it's like really important to listen to them. And, and we can often see a pattern, like three people say, oh, I didn't understand that this button does that. So we're like, all right, let's look at the UX of this thing and try to figure out how we can make this easier for our customers to understand. Three customers come along and they're all using a plugin we don't yet support. So we think, okay, not only will this help these three customers, how big is the potential user base of this particular, let's say, plugin? Should we roll out support for it? Yes, no. And we have also stopped trying to second guess what our customers might want to do in the future, like Stratix user management, our own user management, not WordPress's. Well, maybe there will be an agency that will want to bring in a sub agency that will make, you know, like these types of things. And we say, uh, no, until that actually happens, it's not even something that we need to discuss or think about right now. We say no. In my agency, I was worked with someone from the beginning um, named Rebecca Markowitz. Uh, she was my first hire in my agency, and then she shifted with me to Stratic. So she had been a project manager at, at my agency, Illuminaf. When she joined Stratic, we shifted her into a product management role because she was so good at that type of thing. And we, it just became clear that that made order of everything that we were working on. Someone was keeping on top of the tasks and the bugs and making sure that things were prioritized according to business needs, not just shiny new tools. Like this is the coolest thing that we could possibly develop, but it doesn't have business needs. So what is the business need right now? And then eventually we hired a VP product with a ton of experience. And people often think that that's a weird hire to make at the beginning, but what it helped us stop doing was take two steps forward and one step, step back. It made sure that we were constantly moving forward and we were all on the same page and on the same path and aware of where we were going. Let's dig into that a little bit. So you, know, you got MVP, you, you know, you're staying close to your customers, you're building a process around how you determine what's the next thing to build. How did you progress the product from there and then continue building out your roadmap? And really, I'm interested in how you decided what was the next most important thing to build. That is a good question. So there were a number of things that we knew we had to build out in order to make sure that the vast majority of customers that came along could easily onboard to Stratic. And those were very integral parts of our initial product. So those were related to features that were traditionally dynamic. And when I say dynamic, I don't mean like interactive or something. I mean, depending on a database and processing PHP. So that could be search and forms and comments. And a lot of websites in the WordPress community are using WordPress plugins for their forms. Also things like uh, infinite scrolling. So that's actually challenging on a static site. So we had to figure these things out because we were seeing them again and again. And also because of my background and, and Rebecca's background, after building who knows how many websites for, for clients in our agency, we knew what was out there and what was common functionality and that we needed to support. So those were the initial major goals, combined with whatever bug quashing, stability increasing measures we needed to take at the same time. There was always a combination of the two, proactive features with reactive improving our platform, uh, which are equally important because as we improve the platform, we improve our customer's user experience, um, not just by making sure that there weren't bugs, but also optimizing the build process and things like that for them. And then as we went along, we would be onboarding more and more customers who at the time, our focus was to onboard them, not for the revenue they generated for the company, but to learn from them. 
through these new customers, we would learn things like sometimes the site's permalink structure is this way. We need to be able to catch that. Oh, sometimes they have they don't have an ending slash. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they have these types of users and those types of users, and we need user management. And so we were particularly targeting mid-level enterprise companies. And so we would definitely learn what those use cases were about. And then we would say, okay, uh, if we roll out AMP support for this customer, then we actually have it for everyone. And that's great because we see that there's a lot of interest in it. So it, it there was like bigger picture goals with stabilizing and rolling out features that increased our total addressable market and then learned goals as we went along. The projects related to building out form support were quite big. So at first we were hoping that we could encourage customers that came along to uh, replace the forms on their site that were depending on some kind of form plugin with something third party that works perfectly on Stratic. So for example, HubSpot forms, it's great. You embed a native HubSpot form in your site. It looks like it's part of the site, but all of the data goes straight into HubSpot and doesn't try to go into WordPress first, which also in my opinion is a better way of doing things. Why should WordPress be processing form submissions? It's not, that's not what it's meant for. But what can you do? A lot of people use these form plugins because they're very convenient. It allows them to build forms really easily, drag and drop, and they're good to go. So we determined which were the most popular ones among our target audience and we created native Stratic support for it. So that means that a person can build a form with Gravity Forms on Stratic, click our publish button, and on the static site, that form will look the same. And it will also act the same. The form submission will get sent to the right people. They can have conditional fields. We support, I would say, 99% of Gravity Forms functionality. And that allowed us to onboard a lot of customers that otherwise would have been challenging. Well, then let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Our initial team was very much based on, in Hebrew, there's a term, friend being a friend. And it, it, it was like, okay, Rebecca joined me from my agency. Josh knew two people who were making a career shift. And, you know, we decided to give them a chance as interns and then they grew within the company and they're now key players. Our chief architect, I knew from within the Jerusalem tech community and I had wanted to work with him for quite a while. And luckily the timing worked at a certain point for him to join us. Our CTO is someone named Zev Saraski and he's the co-creator of the PHP programming language. So he was also the co-founder of a company called Zend. Zend was like the PHP company. I organized five word camps in Israel. I'm a very active member of the WordPress community. And so I would organize the local conferences. And the last one that I did, right before that, I had somehow realized that there was this key player in the world of PHP and he was Israeli. And not only was he Israeli, he actually was based in Israel. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I really need to try to get him to speak at WordCamp because that would be the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so I reached out and he came and he was the keynote at the last WordCamp that I did. Now I was all fangirling and like, he's really like a rock star uh, because PHP power is like 70% of the internet. And of course with WordPress, it's the language. So when Josh and I were working together, my, Josh, my partner, he was like, let's, let's show Stratic to Zev. It's like, okay, <laughs> well, let's see what he says. So we went to meet him and we showed him uh, Stratic and he actually liked it. So uh, we, we created a, a relationship around Stratic already then. And his company's end had been acquired. And while we were uh, getting advice from him, whatever, along the way, we started to talk to him about joining as CTO. He really identified with what we were doing. He, he says something funny. He says, 
the best way to run PHP is not to run it at all. <laughs> so, because our static site don't even, <laughs> it doesn't even run PHP. It's the PHP happens behind the scenes. So he joined us, he joined us as CTO and he's amazing to work with, of course, he's brilliant. So we managed to do that connections type of hiring for a while and that worked really well for us. But now we're at a stage where we need to think bigger in terms of hiring. We just hired our first CMO. Until now, all marketing and sales has basically been me and Josh doing our best, trying to, you know, do some outreach when we have time. I try to speak on podcasts like this or at online conferences in the community, whatever and wherever. We have content on our site that gets organic traffic, but that's been it. Now we're at go-to-market stage, and so we needed someone very strong to, to lead that. When you start hiring in that way, it becomes much more challenging. So that was a much more intensive process, talking to a lot of people, working with recruiters. I, so I think we're now at the stage where we're beyond the friend bring a friend stage. Israel is a very close-knit community, so in the end, naturally there tends to be you know employees tell their friends about open positions and that often helps bring leads for positions but so in the beginning it was like people we know people we want to work with anyways let's see how it goes and and that worked out really well but it's it's different now So let's talk about scalability a little bit. So did you build Stratic to scale efficiently from day one, or was this something you kind of fighting as you grew? And I, and I think you touched on it a little bit, but let's dive into it. So on day one, it was not built to scale. We always built it to scale to a certain extent, and then we would reach that point and then have to rethink things or tweak things. In the beginning, we built it out to scale. I don't know if I'm remembering correctly, but I think it was like, Let's be able to support 100, like including trial sites. And then, okay, we hit that and we're like, okay, what's next? Let's try to support 1,000. Sometimes it would mean rebuilding some stuff and sometimes it would mean throwing more resources at something. And also as we went along, we would learn things about uh, what we would need to support and also how we can optimize the way we support things. So it's been a growing process as we go along. And, and right now we're at a place where we're actually taking a deeper dive into a particular component of our platform because it's starting to have performance issues. Like it's been great until now. And then now it's like starting to feel a little bit heavy. What can we do here? The great thing about every time we look at, an, at our platform and take a deep dive, we end up not just solving the issue, but much more. So we'll suddenly like speed things up uh, in a way that we didn't actually plan to. And so there's a lot of wins there. Our balance is like when you're building something, you can be doing two things. You can be moving forward and building or you can be optimizing. And optimizing means like optimizing for scale, but also optimizing for cost. When you're running on the cloud, the cost can add up pretty quickly. Like you have the credits in the beginning and that's great. And a lot of the cloud providers, uh, once you burn through the first batch, you can ask for more. As, but at a certain point they're like, all right, it's time for you to stand on your own two feet, which is legitimate. And uh, at that point, you know, you can start to think, well, we should always be optimizing for cost. But then when you spend that time optimizing for cost, you're not building the product. So we've always put building the product above optimizing for cost. And then every every so often, just like we look about how at how we can scale further, we also look at, okay, is there some place here where we can, maybe we don't have to be using this these particular servers, or maybe uh, we're not maximizing the potential of them, or, oh, oops, look, you know, these servers are running, and we're not using them, so we don't, we can shut them down, that kind of stuff. But the priority is always moving forward, and then, okay, there's an issue, now let's resolve it, okay, move forward. 
Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with Stratic, what are you most proud of? When COVID hit, we actually shut our office. We had an office in Jerusalem. It was really great. It was in a great location. It was right next to the, the local market, which is a very colorful place. And, and the building was a historical building. So it had like a touch of Jerusalem with like a modern tech style. And, and we shut it down and we moved to work from home. And so we actually didn't meet up for almost a year, all of us. Throughout that time, we also grew. We also hired people we hadn't ever met. And we actually met up uh, for the first time, the entire Israeli team. We have, uh, most of us are in Israel. We have four people outside of Israel, but we all met up in person and it hit me. It, people look very different when they're in like real life as opposed to being video squares. <laughs> and it hit me that these were all these people who were working for Stratic and helping us build this product, this platform, and hopefully fulfill all of our dreams. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like it was like a little bit, uh, it suddenly hit me like, whoa, this is like a team. It's, a, it's starting to be a real team. And I, I'm really proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of our team. Our team is really nice people, very supportive and respectful, helpful to each other. Just, we all have a really good time together. And everyone was so happy to see each other. And you could see how much everyone likes working together. We, we have worked hard on trying to preserve the culture of the company even while we're remote. So we implemented different initiatives, like we extended our daily stand-up so that it's not just an efficient stand-up like I did this and I'm doing that. It, we also allow for schmooze time so everyone can catch up. And we have happy hour every week and we have something called Java time where three random people meet up just to talk, not about work. But I, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of our team. I'm excited about the people that we work with. I feel very grateful that we can offer high quality employment to people so that they are happy in their jobs and satisfied in their jobs and enjoy what they're doing every day. I'm glad, I'm very grateful that we can do that for people. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Oh my gosh, we've made a lot of mistakes. Um, but uh, one that stands out in mind because I was just remembering about it, uh, I had forgotten is that uh, sometime in the beginning, we uh, all went to sleep and we woke up finding out that we had a runaway Lambda, I guess you could call it that, on AWS. And it had racked up the most enormous bill. I thought that was the end of the company. Some people, when I've told people this story, they're like, oh yeah, that's happened to me. Like it's a thing. First of all, we had to recover from that. It was a huge expense. We begged AWS for flexibility and whatever. We happened to also have just raised some more funding from, but like, it was like the timing was perfect, but it was, it was painful because that money basically more or less covered that bill. And what we immediately did after that is we set up all sorts of alerts <laughs> on our platform. And since then we set up more and more alerts uh, around things um, that, so that's what that taught us. My advice to anyone who's starting to build out anything on the cloud, I don't know if it's like this in Google Cloud or Azure or something, but in AWS, certain parts of the system, particularly Lambda, can get into a loop and AWS has no mercy. They're gonna charge you for it. Even though you're not getting any value from that, that Lambda function going into some loop and it's racking up the most insane bill, in the end, it's more or less on you. In the beginning, this, this, was, uh, this was part of the balance of let's keep moving forward while not like optimizing. I think maybe we just weren't aware enough. And also we had said, no, it's fine. If something goes wrong, we'll like know about it. No, have alert, set them up in Slack, whatever it is, 
we have channels just for alerts, different types of alerts, so we can be on the ball around different things within our system. Um, but that was a really painful lesson. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, what does the future look like for Stratic, for the product and for your team? There's two aspects to what we're doing now in terms of uh, how people engage with us. One is the general trend of Jamstack, which is a growing trend, thanks in a large part to Netlify's efforts to first coin the term, like create awareness around it and garner developer excitement. And so that's a growing trend and with all the related tooling, all the headless CMSs and the static site generators. So it actually, it often reminds me of uh, when I started with WordPress. So all of the, there was like a lot of open source PHP tools that were constantly being released. Different forum tools and website, you know, CMS tools and just a lot of different things. It was always exciting. There was always a shiny new tool. That's what I feel like is going on in, in a way in a Jamstack world, which is, it's really fun to watch. Like people just releasing all sorts of interesting tooling around this. And then in WordPress, so WordPress continues to grow in a standard form. And at the same time, this Jamstack static site generation world is starting to permeate WordPress, thanks to the efforts of the individuals who are working on building tools, tooling around this and think that this is a good idea for WordPress in the future. So more and more people are becoming aware of it. And what's happening is that people who are looking for solutions to their issues with speed and security and scalability would normally look for like security plugin, caching plugin, they're starting to become aware that they can look for static WordPress solutions. We see an uptick in that in terms of people visiting our site around terms like this and um, the leads that we're getting. I think that the, the world of WordPress will continue largely in its current form. And at the same time, people will be looking to future-proof their WordPress website and also adopt more modern approaches. Uh, and then they're going to to find uh, Stratic. And so like definitely we can see it in the numbers that we're seeing, like around our, our own activity, that there's, uh, that things are starting to really pick up and grow. And uh, I could see us becoming a serious contender in, in the WordPress hosting and management space. Let's switch to you, Miriam. Who influences the way that you work? You name a CEO, architect, CTO, person, really any person, name a person you look up to and why. So interestingly, okay, there's, there's <laughs> the way that I work is influenced in two directions. One is um, actually my, my kids. I always have said that uh, I learned to be a better mother through my work and I learned to do work better through my parenting. Both aspects influence each other and, and it teaches a lot about putting things in proportion and, and prioritizing and, and always reminding myself, like, why am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's for my kids. Um, it's for myself also, obviously, I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm excited to be able to build something that hopefully will have a significant impact in, in improving people's workflows and, you know, but um, it keeps me grounded and um, there's a story uh, that I have told recently about after we raised our seed round. So we had flown to, to San Francisco a few times uh, to work on our seed round. We ended up raising uh, most of our funding there, not in Israel. And in some ways, that's kind of like a glamorous thing to be doing, right? It, like, it seems like very shiny and exciting. And, and it is like, you know, we're, we're flying over there. We're meeting with the top VCs in the world. 
and then you know we raise quite a lot you know a very nice round and so that looks that looks very exciting and very cool we flew we closed the round and as like on the flight back to israel like everything just fell into place everything was signed and sealed and not everything happened and so by the time we landed it was a done deal and like we, i was like on such a high it was so exciting and uh, i dropped my partner off at home and we took a taxi and then i and i drove to my house and i got home i'm a single mom by the way and i came in and uh i was like so excited and so proud of myself and i <laughs> i walked into the kitchen and there's just like a sink full of dishes and so i was like well gotta wash the dishes and so i rolled up my sleeves and i just started washing the dishes and like it just it keeps you grounded it's like yeah good for you very cool but like you're also gonna wash the dishes so like don't think too much of yourself and stay humble so so um that humility impacts a lot of what i do um i mean i hope i'm humble what i mean is my my efforts to stay humble and to like remember that i'm this is all like whatever it's it's just i'm working and i'm trying to build something and, and i'm also a mom and i also wash dishes and do laundry so from the other side so what's really nice in uh, the israeli tech community is that people are very supportive like i have reached out to so many people who didn't know who i was i said i really like your advice on something like whatever it is that i was working on at the time or you know our what our goal was in the company i said i like your advice let's say on go to market and they're like okay and then we would talk and people's generosity and uh the the attitude of yeah we're all building things for ourselves but like we all do better when we help each other. So um, seeing that among it, within the community and learning that from others uh, also, I think, has impacted me a lot. As, everything that I do, I'm like, okay, how can I help? How can I help my employees? How can I help my team? How can I help others in the tech community, particularly female founders? I try to be involved in initiatives to promote women and mentor women. Uh, I'm involved now in, in an initiative here in Jerusalem where we mentor women who are in tech to help them get promotions and, and build their careers and whatever. So that is definitely something that has influenced me, seeing seeing other people do that. It's hard to say someone specific. I, I'm the result of this, all the people that I've met. And so each person has an impact. And I try to take the positive from every person that I meet and whatever impresses me. Kindness, generosity, creative approaches, thinking outside of the box. I'm, I try to learn from every person that I speak to and I meet. Well, we talked about mistakes, but a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I have a hard time answering that question because every time I I thought that, oh, I wish something had worked out differently, it ended up basically working out for the best. I'll give you an example. When I, when we were trying to raise funding here in Israel, we had gone through a, quite an intense process with one fund and it was looking really good and we really needed that money, like really. And in, in the early days, it was really like that. Like every day we needed, we needed to figure out how we're going to pay the bills. At the end, they said, uh, no, it's not a good fit or whatever. And we were so disappointed. It was very upsetting. And a while later, like a year, year and a half later, we heard that that fund had like imploded in such a messy way. Something had happened there. I don't know, political conflict, drama, something, something. But at that point I was like, oh my goodness, if they were on our cap table, 
that would be really problematic. Another example of that is Israel has a government arm called the Israel Innovation Authority, which gives money to startups based on certain criteria to help them grow. It's basically, it's equity free. There are some conditions that come along with it, like you have, end up having to do a lot of paperwork before, during and after, but a lot of companies that have gotten it have really benefited. So we tried to, to get this funding, this type of grant, and we went through the process. It was a really terrible process for us. We think partly because uh, I'm a female founder and that there was bias that was felt throughout the process. But they determined that our tech wasn't deep enough and that we didn't have the opportunity or whatever it was, and they said no. Also, very, very upsetting because all of the founders around me that I knew had managed to get this funding. And from my perspective, those founders who I love and respect, their opportunities weren't necessarily as large as ours. I mean, our opportunities, like, the internet. So it was very upsetting. We ended up going out and raising, like subsequently, at a later day, we, we, we stopped trying to raise funding in Israel and we went to the States and we raised an amazing seed round. If we had taken the money from the, the Innovation Authority, it would have caused a lot of challenges around that round for various reasons, like technical reasons in terms of IP and whatever, that, that comes back to what those grants demand and require. Maybe we would have been able to work around it, but it just would have caused a lot of complication. And so it actually worked out well that they didn't give it to us. Okay, so those were like like those were like disappointments that were hard. But also a lot of the mistakes that we made along the way or challenges ended up being really good learning opportunities that helped us do things better from that point on. I don't think a founder or a human being in general can like avoid making mistakes. Um, you try to do your best. You try to make the most educated decision at the time. Sometimes it works out well, hopefully, most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't, but you can learn from it. Like, in the case of the runaway Lambda, that could have destroyed our company. Thank God it didn't. And then that would have been a, that would have been a mistake. I would have been like, I should have known to put in place alerts earlier on in the company. So I learned that like a painful way and later, but all the mistakes have, have ended up just being a good learning experience. I, that might sound romantic. There's definitely, it's not like everything was super easy at all. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's been a lot of painful things that we've gone through and different aspects of the business that have been hard. And um, a lot of no's, a lot of no's. People saying, you know, this is not a great idea. You're, you're not, it's not going to go anywhere, all that. But it's just part of the journey. So it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them and grow from them. Well, last question, Miriam. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? My advice would be the following. Do you have a partner? If you don't, find a partner. I don't know how anyone does this without having a good partner that you know you, have, you can share the good times and the bad times with. Because all those those mistakes and hard times that I mentioned, I could only get through them because Josh and I would pick each other up. We'd also laugh <laughs> and move on, like laugh when we could and and move on. So, number one, get yourself a partner. Also, investors tend to prefer to invest in uh, founders where there's more than one person. The second thing is, don't think you know your customers. Go out and 
find people who actually want your thing. You might think it's the coolest thing, but you need actual other human beings to confirm that, but that you need them to confirm it in an objective way. There's a really good book, I think it's called Don't Ask Your, your Mom. Um, it's about how to ask people non-leading questions. The premise of the book is, I go to my mom and I go, mom, I'm working on this thing called Stratic. It's gonna like really make the WordPress industry really cool and whatever. And my mom would of course say, that's amazing, Miriam, good for you. I'm sure it's the best idea ever. Okay, but that doesn't help me <laughs> because I don't actually know what other people who aren't my mom think about this and if they would use it. So you need to properly like get some kind of prototype in place and get real honest, even brutal feedback about what it is that you're doing to make sure that you're building it for people who actually want it because it's very nice to build it for you but you're just a data set of one you need to know that that other people out there will want it and it doesn't have to you don't have to talk to 100 people talk to five people but like find those people who truly want it and you make sure that they actually truly want it because everyone says they want something until it comes down to actually paying you so that would be my advice right on that's great advice well, Miriam, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Stratic. My pleasure. This was fun. Thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.